Hi, I'm Robert Duncan McNeil, Tom Paris from Star Trek Voyager, and you're listening to Retrek. Greetings, salutations, and welcome back to Retrek. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, pretty much anywhere you want to get your podcasts. And we're back talking about Discovery Season 2, and we're up to Episode 7, which I suppose if you're a Friends episode, it's probably the one that's called The One Where You Finally See Spock. Yeah, but we did predict this. We did? I did predict this. You did? Yeah, I was saying this all along. Episode 7, Episode 7. And finally we get to see Spock. Yeah, and we'll talk about exactly how we get to see him in a bit. Uh, I'm Captain Jim and with me is Admiral Elliot. Hi there. Um, we're going to be breaking down that episode, seeing what we thought about the new Spock and everything else that was going on. So, the episode's called Light and Shadows with a story by Ted Sullivan and Vaughn Wilmont who I did a bit of Googling. He played a Bajoran security officer in the Next Gen episode, Descent. All right. Yeah, I don't remember a Bajoran security, but apparently... There was a few cropped up here and there. Yeah. It was... Because Descent was after we'd had the S9 launch. Yeah, it was season six. They had all the makeup ready and everything, so... Yeah. It was fairly easy to put Bajorans in then as a different alien. So he's, um, he's graduated from playing a security officer to... Coming up with the story, the teleplay is written just by Ted Sullivan, and um, it's directed by Marta Cunningham, who again, I did a bit of googling, is married to James Frain, who plays Sarek. Oh, cool. So, so the, it's all quite a nice tie, you know, yeah, Star yeah. Trek family. And it's a, it's a big Sarek episode, I suppose, yeah. so yeah, kind of makes it, must be weird, like, directing your husband, I suppose, but... And a lot of them do it, like John Krasinski directed Emily Blunt in that Quiet Place. I suppose it's easier than directing yourself. I suppose so, <laughs> yeah. Um, so we start off then, uh, we've got a personal log, and this uh, this is Michael telling us that mysteries come in threes, birth, life and death, past, present and future, which is all a bit... I, I'm getting sort of a little bit fed up with these... These sort of ruminations that we seem to be getting every yeah. episode now. Yeah, it's like diary entries. They're not really Starfleet logs, are they? No, exactly. Presumably you do a log so that the hierarchy and everyone can review the mission and yeah. stuff and you won't be wanting to... I suppose it's a personal log, though, but... Yeah, yeah it's... personal logs still get looked at. She's looked at other people's personal That's true. Logs. So she must... Have it in the back of my mind that someone who might be looking at her personal logs. Yeah, it's it's just a little bit, not quite crossing over into it, but we're getting towards being a little bit pretentious, I think, yeah. with this past, present, and future business. Anyway, um, we see a flashback, and it's Saru seeing the angel. They assume that it's um, the suit must be future technology. So this is kind of the first hint. Really, or have they mentioned it before that it might be a time traveller? I think it's the first time that we sort of really look yeah. at it's been We're sort of zeroing in now yeah, on what the angel that is. Time travel involved and Yeah. And then Pike and Michael have a chat and we find out uh, again about Spock seeing the angel before it began appearing and that's why he disappeared and everything. And that's something, as we said in the last episode, now that we've seen the full season, it's going to be interesting to look at when the angel appears and sort of piece together 
who it is at different yeah. times and why it's appearing to people when it does. And there's this question ra- raised of, is Spock broken because of what he's seen? Did the angel cause it kind of thing? Yeah, well, we get that answered in this episode. We do, yeah. It's it's an interesting idea, though, that they're, they're sort of playing with, and it's not sort of the first time we've seen Spock have this kind of connection like he does with Eija in yeah, the motion yeah, picture. Yeah, it is. It's already established that he does these sort of things. Yeah, he senses it. Yeah. And did you pick up on the mention the Matara sector from Wrath of Khan? Yes. Yeah, I think that's... <laughs> Nicholas Meyer's influence against we know yeah, he's I think I think actually if you look at back at Discovery there's a lot of nods to what has gone before yeah there is and because I mean I know there's been this huge debate about is it canon and all this rubbish and I think we're going to get a definitive answer to that in the next episode so we'll maybe cover that in a bit more yeah. depth when we get there but like I've, I've thought all along Discovery is canon to me if it appears on screen, it is canon. Yeah, and that's the way Star Trek's always yeah. approached everything. <laughs> and they have this sort of attitude like you can write books and comics and everything, yeah. but if we want to throw them out, we will yeah. do. Yeah, if it's so. appeared on screen, it's canon. Yeah. Uh, there may be continuity problems, Yeah. <laughs> but that's a different thing to canon. Yeah. And um, Michael comes up with this theory then that her mother might have more answers and she asks permission to leave the ship to go to Vulcan. Yeah, she gets leave of absence. And um, Pike says, you've already packed your bag. So it shows that he is getting to know Burnham really well yeah. and he can anticipate what she's going to do. Yeah. Um, to be fair, I think with a lot of other captains, she'd probably be in a lot of trouble how she carries on. Yeah, well... I think she's being very fortunate with who she's had as a captain. Yeah, I think... And you see this with how Pike treats other members of the crew. Like, he seems to know how much leeway to give them while he's still in charge, yeah, you know. Yeah, he knows when to reel them back in. Yeah. So, I like that there's this sort of camaraderie building up between them. Um... We find out then that Discovery is staying at Kaminar um, because there's something about residual particles and yeah. so it's a sort of a technobabble Yeah, there's a lot of technobabble. Yeah, explanation as to why they're staying there, but that sets up our sort of two main plot points for the episode. We know what Michael's doing, where she's going, yeah, and the ship's got something to do in the meantime. And then we start getting more of this conflict between Ash and Pike. And this is the bit you mentioned in the last episode yeah. where he throws the badge. Yeah, and he goes, the badge out. The, the, the chair, suit, seat the, out, raised no, the badge. It's the suit out. I thought it was the chair. No, I thought it was the, the captain's the suit out chair. Out the badge. Right. But so, it, it, I, I wonder how many times they had to do the take of him tossing the badge back to him because he just... He doesn't even look at no. him. He just does it over his shoulder and it's spot on. And I, it looks great that he's got that yeah. awareness around him. But I imagine there was like 20, 30 takes. Of... Yeah, probably. I mean, you'd like to think that they're all that professional and yeah. they just caught it. But yeah, that done. Yeah. Um... The actors, like, I think in real life, a lot of actors are actually that sporty. It's a bit like nerds. we not good at ball games. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Yeah, some good dexterity from Anson Mount. Um, the, there's a bit then where sort of time repeats itself. Yeah. That reminded me of Red Dwarf quite a bit. Is it Future Echoes? Yeah, Future where they Echoes get bits where they that have been um, replayed sort of thing. Because um, for anyone who's not seen Red Dwarf, it, it's primarily a comedy, but it is it does have some really good sci-fi yeah. stories in it and really good sci-fi ideas. And particularly... Sort of the mid-Red Dwarf, sort of series three, four, five, six. There's a lot of episodes that are similar to next-gen episodes, but they're taking similar sci-fi ideas. Ideas, but they're doing it a lot different. Doing yeah. a spin on it, yeah. But the, So this, again, just reminded me of, sort of some of the sequences we get there, but obviously we're playing it straight in Star Trek. Um, Pike then has a plan that there's an anomaly and he wants to go investigate it. And he makes a good argument for why he should be the one who goes on the shuttlecraft. Yeah, he's, he's 
more qualified. He's the best he's qualified the best, pilot. Most qualified pilot they have. Yeah, well, we saw all his qualifications, didn't we? Yeah. His Carrington Award and yeah. everything, so it doesn't surprise me he's um, <laughs> a good shuttle pilot. Yeah, I've, I've still got problems with some of them uh, qualifications. Yeah, I think, as we said at the time, like the, the problem with doing stuff like that, like Michael Acuda used to do them in Next Gen, he used to put little Easter eggs yeah. and jokes, but... You couldn't see them on nineties TV, yeah, whereas now the resolution so yeah, on TV with freeze frame it and we can read every yeah, single word. Can, <laughs> so you can't put little jokes and that. Well, you can because it is nice Easter eggs for the fans. Yeah, you can nods, and it, it's like I say, it's obviously nods from Discovery to what has gone previously. Yeah, but you'll get these people who go, "Well, I can't possibly have a Carrington." So you you know you'll get people citing that as a reason why Discovery's not proper Star Trek. Yeah. It's a load of rubbish. You've got to look the other way with some things. Um, so there's a tension between Ash and... Uh, I'm going to say Ash and Vok, which I suppose there is all the time, but yeah. Pike and Ash, uh, because Pike's suspicious because of Vok, and he feels like Ash is shadowing him and everything. Yeah, they're still unsure. And we get... How much Vok's got an influence on him. Yeah, we, we get that played out quite a bit in this episode, which is good. Did you notice in the credits they've changed the animation sequence with the angel now? We get a closer look at it now. Yeah. Because we've seen it through Saru's yeah, eyes. Yeah, so now we actually see it. Yeah, him. we get to see it. That's a nice yeah. bit of detail. Yeah. And well, they did that in season one. The credits changed throughout the season. I don't remember them changing yeah, they, too much they, in season they did one. Slight, they kept changing. And they do the same in season two. There's obviously, the credits are showing the story. Yeah, it's good. And it's something again, that you didn't get in previous Star Trek series because it was very expensive to redo anything in the um, credits and whatnot. The only time I can think of sort of in the older ones is Next Gen changed it, didn't they? In like season one and two, maybe three, um, it, w- it, was, it was the Enterprise leaving the solar system, but they changed it to be more I exotic it, planets. I think it's actually... Only in uh, Voyager that didn't change its credit scene. All right, yeah, I suppose original series DS9 changed the font. DS Nine did. They jazzed it up and they changed it quite a lot because yeah, when the defiant in the titles and all sorts. Yeah, and they added all the other ships and everything yeah. to make it look more busy. Yeah, so there's quite a lot changed. Yeah, Enterprise did that one where it did the uh, totally different with uh, to in America Darkly. That's it. Um, yeah, okay, I'll stand corrected there, you're right. <laughs> the other ones have done, but I do yeah. like how Discovery's doing it. Yeah, I think the only change to Voyager was when... Um... Oh. When they changed the actors, they got rid of Jennifer Lean and put uh, yeah, Jerry Ryan. Yeah, but they also had when... Um, I'm trying to remember her name, when Belana... Oh, and she got married. When she got married. Yeah. Mine's gone blank. And, oh, DS9 did as well when... Um, Siddig El Fadl changed his stage name to Alexander Siddig. Yeah. Have you looked at his Wikipedia where it's got his full name? Oh, no. Siddig El Fadl was the short version. Yeah. <laughs> it's oh, it's massive. So I don't blame him for doing a stage name. It don't roll off the tongue. But anyway, back to, to Discovery. Uh, Michael arrives at Vulcan and she says, I'm here as his daughter rather well, than I'm here yeah, as a... But it's also quite nice when she arrives at Vulcan, we've got more... Fewer Vulcan than we've ever seen before. Yeah, definitely. We're so, we're, like, we've seen maybe a temple or a house. A previously. little bit here and then, them well, weird big statues. Um, like, with the yeah, the statues that we've seen, like, inside yeah, buildings. Like, but we actually saw, like, a, a, a city. Yeah, full, a full on Vulcan sort of city. panorama it was really of Vulcan. nice to. Yeah, because, like, in a mock time, which is primarily set on Vulcan, you get that little arena, but that's about your lot, really. Yeah. Which yeah, understandable with the budget like at the time. Quite a few episodes on Vulcan, but you got you got to Paul's house, you got a few things inside the high command building, but you didn't actually see the cities. Yeah, like again, I think it's a budgetary thing. Like you can do it a lot easier now, which is great. Um, and then we get flashbacks to Michael's youth, and these quite cleverly sort of carry on from what we'd seen before like yeah. we see the bit of her entering the house for the first time but then we see a bit more of her talking bit- to Spock and you get this thing where Spock's not understanding Michael um, you know Michael's laughing but Spock doesn't understand it and he admits that he's confused by emotions but he does smile when he's interacting with her so you see that they, they do seem to have formed a decent yeah. bond when they were children. 
And as we know, something happens and we're going to find that out a little bit later in the season. Um, then we're introduced to a new sort of element of Vulcan mythology. Sarek's practicing this, it's Tokmar, which apparently brings back lost souls. Yeah. And so Sarek basically stood in a corner Call being quiet chance. and that's that's all again so they think that they can speak in front Me- of him without him hearing maybe that was with his wife directing she's like it's my only chance to make him just shut up and stand <laughs> in the corner so she's like right that's what he's gonna do um there's this thing of michael seems to think amanda knows more than she's letting on and she says she won't turn spock in because of the murders and you know, she basically admits to hiding Spock at this yeah. stage, which presumably Spock's turned up after we saw Amanda on Discovery earlier yeah, in the season. Yeah, because she was looking for him before. Yeah, so he must have come to her between them, but because she had that row with Michael, she's not told yeah. Michael. Um, and she says Spock's not how you remember him. So that's, I suppose, cueing the audience in almost a bit of an in-joke, really, because it's not Leonard Nimoy, it's not Zachary Quinto. Yeah. Um, and we're going to see a different take on Spock. We go back then and we pick up with Ash and Spike on the shuttle and um, they talk about how they're getting the time bends and yeah. they say everything's cooler if you put time before yeah, that's it. Yeah, chilly, isn't it? Chilly. But then Pike says we've got a time rift, so he starts doing it after yeah. she says it. It's a bit like, did you see Ant-Man and the Wasp, how everything's quantum. Yeah. They're like, we're off to the quantum realm and we need the quantum corridor and the quantum suits. Yeah. <laughs> it reminded me of that a little bit. Um, Pike gets flashes of the future. He sees him shooting Ash, but he doesn't say anything at this stage. I wasn't sure at first why maybe he didn't say anything. Like, was maybe it's that he's thinking, well why would I shoot him? Or is he thinking Ash must have betrayed me yeah, so I don't want to tip my yeah, hand? Yeah, I think I think he was thinking more... He, he's got concerns, hasn't he, about Vaughn? Yeah. And I think, he, I think at that point he thought, Ash has betrayed me, so I'm not tipping my hand that. I'm yeah, don't it. want him to know that I'm going to have to yeah, shoot him <laughs> a little bit later on. Um, we see that the anomaly doesn't run at normal time. Um and the shuttle disappears in it, and the crew comes up with a theory that Stamets might be able to understand it because of the tardigrade DNA. Yeah, serial network. Yeah, which makes sense. They're using what we know about Stamets effectively. And they also, there's a bit of a callback to the Mud episode, like they say that Mud had a way of manipulating time, and that Stamets was immune to that. So there is precedent for this idea. It's not just like a cheesy thing like, Oh, Stamets will be fine. We, but they're taking a gamble on it. We know. We we are yeah. There's a precedent. We already know that he can manipulate the time. Yeah, we we know that he's likely to be able to be okay with it. So, it's good. It, it, one of the criticisms Discovery gets is that it doesn't do enough character development on people except Michael. But I think season two's really disproving that. Yeah, I think I think there was a lot of that in season one. But we said that in the first episode of season two. When Pike made a point of introducing the entire bridge crew. Yeah, exactly. season one, we didn't even know who some of these people were. No, we didn't. And to be fair, some of them are still pretty sketchy, but we're we're getting there. We're getting there. And um, we go back to Vulcan then. There's Michael and Amanda. And this is the reveal of Spock. I mean, we talked a lot about, is he going to come in at the end of the episode? And is that going to be a cliffhanger? Yeah, but no, he's in quite early. Yeah, they just walk in and he's there in a cave and there's no sort of fanfare. Yeah. Well, his writing is mumbling. Yeah, it it surprised me um, how sort of underplayed it is. But I do have to give a bit of context to this because I first watched this episode when I was still in hospital and... I'd come out of ICU, but they were still putting a lot of painkillers and drugs and stuff in me at the time. So I didn't remember watching this one the first time. Yeah. Um, and I, I vaguely remember watching it the second time in hospital. So, yeah, I just kind of... The first episode I properly remembered watching was the next one. So I was kind of like, what, what? Is this the first time we see Spock? Yeah. Really weird. I've got really choppy memories of it. I'll tell you 
when we get to it, a, a scene that I made up. I think I hallucinated <laughs> a scene. Um, but we'll, we'll get back to that when we get there. Um, it's edited in kind of a confusing way to sort of show that Spock's mind's a bit fractured. You know, we're, we're jumping around a lot yeah. and we're getting funny angles. Which uh, I suppose is a good way of doing it. To sort yeah. Of, it, it is hard to portray things on screen. Yeah, sometimes. it is. And it's, you know, it, it's effective. Um, he's what he's actually repeating is the first doctrines of logic, which he's later quizzed about in Star Trek Four. Yeah. So that was a nice little callback as well. Um, they talk about why they've not took him to a hospital, and Amanda says that with another callback to the films, it's because Sarah could look at the needs of the many. Yeah. Which obviously is a big theme in Star it, Trek 2, 3, etc. Well, it's become a big thing for Star Trek, hasn't it? Yeah. Many other needs outweigh the needs of the one. And then she says she's invoking diplomatic immunity because she's the ambassador's wife. But then Sarek turns up and but says... the ambassador yeah. disagrees. So it turns out that he was listening after all. Now I think it was a bit naive to imagine that. Yeah. Wouldn't be able to listen at the same time because and it's not just any Vulcan. It's Sarek who's yeah. Even at this stage, he's still known to be incredibly intelligent and one of the most significant Vulcans. And yeah, it was she should know her husband better than that, really. Um, this is a bit where we're sort of dicing with contravening the canon and things because you've got Spock and Sarek in the same room but Spock because he's in this sort of compromised state doesn't most likely doesn't know Sarek's there so when we get to Journey to Babel and he says I haven't seen my father in however long he's probably still telling the truth but I think this is about as close as you can possibly skirt to to that I got the impression it was a it were meant to be a lot of years. Yeah. It's certainly over ten. And that's roughly the gap that we're talking about here, isn't it? Yeah. So, so they're really pushing it close to the wire there, but I'll I'll give them a pass on it because yeah. Spock Spot's most likely really, doesn't yeah. remember that. So we go back to um Ash and Pike again on the shuttle and they're being dragged through time. They say, you know, we could be together for all eternity, which is played as a a joke, really. This is, they don't want to be, because these yeah. two don't like each other. This, to me, this whole setup with Pike and Ash, this reminds me a lot of sort of TNG, DS9, Voyager eras of Star Trek, where you did get these episodes where it were like two characters who don't necessarily get on, and they put them on a shuttle together, and they've got a... Iron out the differences. Like, yeah, you had a lot of uh, Tuvok and Neelix. Tuvok and Neelix. There's one... Well, there's Bashir and O'Brien in the early days when they yeah. didn't like each other. There's one in Enterprise. I can't think. It's Mayweather and Reed, maybe. Yeah. And... Um, no, it's Mayweather and Trip. Mayweather and Trip, sorry. So no, Sorry, Reed and Trip. Reed and Trip. So it's... No, they share a bottle of booze. And... That's it. So it, it's quite conventional, the storytelling here. Compared to how Discovery's been very, very different. This is a trope that seems very familiar, I think. Yeah, I think it's something that they play out a lot in Star Trek. Yeah. But it's typical Star Trek. It is. It's, it's a proper Star Trek and, event. And we use it, as Star Trek does, as a way to explore the characters. And Ash basically states that he thinks Pike put himself on this mission because he feels guilty that the Enterprise wasn't involved in the war. And we come back to that later on. Um, so it's it's a good way of exploring the two characters. Then back on Vulcan, um, we find out that the the crypt has Catra stones, which I think are a new thing. No, I think we've. Oh, actually, is that what they're trying to find in that next gen two part of Gambit? Yeah, they find that's a yeah, and there's bit. I think Catra stones cropped up in Enterprise as well. Yeah, so they, they it is. It is in. Uh, it's, we've had it before, yeah. right? Um, so they block the psychic connection anyway, which makes sense. That's why they hide Spock there. Um, Amanda and Sarek talk about their relationship, which I think is quite enlightening. So we don't 
I don't think we've had that between those two characters no. before. We've always seen how they interact with Spock or how they interact with Kirk or what have you, but but to see them two actually openly discuss the relationship was pretty cool. Um, we also find out that Spock had learning difficulties as a child. Yeah, form of uh, Vulcan dyslexia. Yeah, Vulcan dyslexia, yeah. space dyslexia, yeah. which is... Yeah, well, he's writing everything backwards at this point, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, and that, that's new for Spock. And Yeah, this is it's never been mentioned no. before, so... And I think it's quite surprising, like, it... it it is just something we've never had hinted at. I mean, again, I don't think it breaks continuity because it's clearly something that he dealt with, yeah, moved at on. Yeah, a young age. He yeah. Dealt with and... So it's it's not a huge thing. And I also imagine Vulcans would be very secretive about that sort of thing anyway. Yeah. So, um, But it's, it's interesting that not only are they introducing Spock, but they are adding things to the character. Yeah. It's... You would, you would maybe have expected them to be so reverential to the character that they wouldn't want to do anything new with him. Which yeah, I don't think this damages the character. I don't think it damages him. No, I'm it just is strange though that they decided to say. Yeah, I just think it's quite audacious yeah. by the writers, and he, I think it is the right thing to do. Is to, if you're going to use a character, you need to do something with him. So I, I'm not opposed to it. It's. Um, if anything, I think it's commendable that they are doing something new with him. Um, and this ties into Alice in Wonderland. Amanda read that to Spock. Yeah. And that is referenced in the animated series, I believe. Yeah, it is. So that that's not something new. Um, but obviously we know that Michael has this thing about Alice in Wonderland as well. Um, and the reason it, they say they chose that book is because it's about confusion and she tried to use it as a way to ground him. Um, which, that sounds like good parenting. Yeah, so. yeah it sounds very good parenting. I, I think Spock's lucky he had Amanda, really, because Sarek's made some questionable decisions. <laughs> um, Amanda says that she's sacrificed everything and she questions if Sarek would have left Vulcan for her. And I think the answer's probably no. Yeah, I think it's a and no. I think it shows, as is quite often true um, with relationships between men and women, that the wife here knows the husband a lot better than the, yeah. the husband knows the wife. You know, she's much more aware of the bounds of their relationship than he is. And I think that's quite telling. It's, it's speaking to that sort of conflict between Vulcan and human and it's almost like the Kirk-Spock relationship like Kirk often had a greater understanding than Spock did when he was looking at things from a purely logical point yeah. of view and you sort of got the same thing here with the yeah, man intu- intuition yeah makes a big difference she, she's more aware of what's going on than Sarek yeah. is and but I think what comes out of it is that there is a love and a loyalty between them and clearly there is, because they're still together, presumably, until Amanda's death. Um, yeah. Even though he does, he does remarry, doesn't he? And well, I don't think Amanda was his first wife, eh? Um, Amanda's no, first well, wife, so... I, wasn't he married to a Vulcan priestess, and that's where Cybok came yeah, from? Yeah, and I'm sure Amanda wasn't his first human wife, eh? All right, I can't we'll remember to, that one. We'll have to look it up. We'll look it up, we'll check the encyclopedia. We'll have to look it up, but I've got... But the then feeling that he's been married several times. He clearly likes humans because he marries another human in Perrin later well, on. Um, I can't remember which book it's explained in, but they say that um, part of it is being the diplomat, mm. diplomat to Earth or ambassador, he finds it um, helpful to learn yeah. about the humans by being married to them. So that's quite way. cynical, really, yeah. isn't it? But I suppose Sarek is quite a cynical yeah. guy. Um, but he does say he doesn't want to lose both his children in one day. So this is what I like about Vulcans, that they do have emotion. They just suppress it, you know. Yeah. And it and it comes through with Sarek, you know. It's a shame he doesn't tell his kids these things, yeah, but... Like, we, they suppress the emotions because of how violent they were yeah. in the past. They're a very violent race, are they? Yeah, yeah. The Vulcans. So, back on the shuttle then, they get attacked by this probe. Now, 
This probe to me looks like it's come out of the Matrix. Yeah, that was my thought when <laughs> yeah. I saw it. It's tentacles pre- all over. Yeah, and... pretty much the same effect. And it's we later find out it's pretty much the same thing. It's a machine trying to, <laughs> to invade them. Yeah. Um, we then go and meet up with Section 31. Michael takes Spock to them. There's... Well, this is where we find out about the dyslexia. Yeah. Well, and tells her that's what yeah. the room's from. And then... Georgia drops a hint that she's killed her own mother, which should probably come as no surprise to yeah. us at this stage. But I love how we just get these little bits. Yeah. It seems there's nothing. There's a great one in the next episode that yeah. we'll talk about. Yeah, but I might have got on with. Is it, I might have got on with my mother if I'd known her longer. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. And then there's this growing tension between Leland and Georgia. Yeah, and you know. As viewers, it's clear Giorgio's going to get the upper hand. Oh. I mean, <laughs> she's much cooler than Leland, but he promises he's going to help out with Spock, but I'm not quite sure we can believe him. Yeah, and I think we're getting answered that uh, within a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, like you say about the dyslexia, it's we're told it's quite uncommon on Vulcan. Yeah, I wonder if it's just because he's half human. Because he's half what, human, yeah. yeah. And, I mean... I assume Vulcan logic could help co- counteract that as he learned the. Yeah, I suppose with him, as we know, Spock embraces his Vulcan side much yeah. more. It probably does help with sorting out his. Um, yeah, yeah, he suppresses his human side quite His a lot. emotions and whatnot. So, yeah, it, I wonder how much of it is that it's a condition and how much of it is the conflict between the human and the Vulcan yeah. side, and also the fact that Sarek's trying to raise him pure Vulcan, so apart from Amanda's influence and, Amanda's and later Michael... Have some of his human influence. Yeah, it, it, like, it, he has to understand, he has emotions. You know, he'd be confused enough without yeah. uh, something else <laughs> affecting him, but Leyland again says Spock's going to get the best care, so we'll see. Yeah, we'll get um, into that soon. <laughs> and then, yeah, this is where we find out about things being backwards. So Michael realises that these numbers that Spock's been laying out are actually backwards, which is... Maybe that's a little bit too simple. It seems that... I don't know. Someone who's a scientist like Michael, if she saw this string of numbers and one way it looks like gibberish, but the other way it's coordinates... I don't know if you ever see... Maybe See, on your Facebook feed, it comes up, people go, if you can read this. And yeah, yeah. And I can read them straight. Oh, yeah, this, yeah. So. so it's, maybe Michael should have tweaked a little bit sooner than it's yeah. that, but mm, it could have maybe been a little bit more complex, like you had to unscramble the numbers yeah. or something, but it serves as a plot device and it yeah. gets us from A to B, so. Um, back on Discovery then, the... Pike's vented the plasma from the shuttle, which seems well, to be... Well, I didn't want to, but he took this yeah. and told him, if you don't do this, I will court-martial you. Yeah. This <laughs> is a direct order. Yeah. And it turns out he's right. Yeah. And it recalls sort of Spock in the Galileo 7, Jetson yeah, in the fuel. Do. I think Odo does something very similar in the yeah. Vortex. Yeah, I think it's... I don't think it's... it's a, well, it isn't the first time it's no, been used it's, as a signalling device. No, very similar things. It's obviously a good idea. Yeah. Um, we find out a bit more about what's gone on with the probe then. So it's been altered 500 years in the future yeah, and come back. Yeah, realise it's their own probe. Yeah, the probe they sent out earlier in the episode. So that's that's quite cool. Um, a tentacle from the Matrix thing grabs Ash and then Pike realises that this is what he saw earlier on and he's actually saving Ash. Not... By shooting the tentacle. Yeah. <laughs> So that that's pretty cool. I, yeah. I bet he was quite relieved. He probably thought, oh, at least I don't have to kill yeah. him. Maybe a bit disappointed, actually. Yeah, I'm not sure if, if he'd have lost a lot of sleep if he had to kill Ash, maybe, if he'd done something wrong. Maybe not at this stage, <laughs> yeah. If he'd have had justifiable reason for it. Yeah, I don't think he'd been too bothered. And then the plan is that Stamets is going to beam to the shuttle and he's going to fly them out. And he tells Tilly to trust the math, which is yeah. something... We've had that with Tilly before, haven't yeah. we? Um, so that's good, and that that's building on the bond between them two, which I really like. Um, so Stamets is going to get them out, but the probe's stealing data from the computer. 
So this is the bit where I think I had a hallucination and added a scene. What I remembered happening is there's a bit where a shutter sort of closes over the top of the shuttle. Yeah, it does. And it's lats. You can see lats in it. Now, what I remembered happening is like a big flare going off outside and the light from it coming through and burning Stamets' back. And, like, you saw, like, really deep gorges in his back. I know it didn't when I watched it again. (laughs) But, you know, I remember thinking, this is really graphic for Star Trek, is this? But going back to that armour, that's like a blade of armour. Yeah, it is. Which I'm not sure if that's maybe a bit... bit too early. A bit too early for armour. Isn't that what they had... They had armour in Enterprise because they had that rather than shields. Yeah, but the, yeah. But, so it maybe looks like a plate of armour, but it's actually an extension of what they have okay. there. So yeah, so th- this is why you probably shouldn't watch new episodes of Star Trek when you hopped up on painkillers. <laughs> but yeah, so I was glad to see that scene didn't happen when I came back to it. Um that wasn't the strangest solution. No, it definitely wasn't, but we'd need a whole different <laughs> podcast for that. <laughs> Back with section 31, Giorgio tips off Michael that Spock's going to be in danger and that this machine is something from the Terran Empire. Yeah, all she, all planning to do is to literally draw his... Rip his, his mind his out, mind basically. Out, and he'll be left to cabbage, basically. Yeah, it's... Um, yeah, it's quite barbaric, really. But I suppose yeah. if they've taken it from Terran technology, then that does make yeah. sense. Um, I like the fact that Giorgio's in the middle of saying we need to make it look realistic and Michael's belts are one. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> you've got, I've turned off the cameras for, is it 30 seconds or a minute? You yeah, something like that. But make it look realistic, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I like that. You get another fight between them. Yeah. You know, the, Michelle Yeoh's got to have a fight every couple of episodes. Yeah. Um, Back on Discovery, Pike sets the shuttle for Destruct and he gives it six seconds. It's like he's not taking any chances <laughs> no. there. Kind of like yeah, setting seven, a microwave in his You will get us off. Yeah. You do it now. <laughs> yeah, and they beam him out um, and this is where we first see these three lights in Arium's eyes. Yeah, she's sort of like studying sensor data and kind of like the the predator and it's little yeah it's laser sight that it used um michael of course manages to get spock out they take a shuttle away and then back on discovery we get our third time thing we've got a time tsunami now yeah. not everything's cool with time yet <laughs> um pike says he's happy to be back in his chair and he seems to have warmed to Ash a little bit, you know, he tells him to get his wounds patched up and he admits that he might have been right about why they went on the mission, you know, yeah. he talks about um, the guilt and everything and then you get that reciprocated from Ash and he says, yeah, you made the right calls. This, again, it reminds me of those earlier episodes where everything had to be wrapped up in one show. Yeah. And it seems a bit too easy for me that we've had kind of simmering tension for a few weeks and it ends with, well, you know, yeah, you, you were right, Captain. Really. No, you were right, Ash. And Yeah, yeah, it's very much like yeah. we've gone back to the old standalone episode. Yeah. Two people on the shuttle. They hate each other when they get on. Yeah. They go through adversity. Yeah. They get to respect each other. Like Damok and Jalad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's maybe a little bit too easy for me. Um and then they have a cool line that says, we're always in a fight for the future, <laughs> which you sense they want to put on posters or something. Yeah. And we finish uh, with section 31, more tension between Giorgio and Leland. We find out that he was responsible for the death of Burnham's parents and Giorgio's sort of holding this over yeah, him. Yeah, she's uh, cracked all his secrets. Yeah, logs. she's got all his things. Yeah. It Again, it, I'm a little bit weird about this because despite Michael being the main character of Discovery Michael's not the most important person in the world well well <laughs> but isn't she but well she shouldn't be yeah, and it's like, certainly there's something that uh, they all said she's Mary Jane uh, Mary Sue Mary Sue yeah and it's like she can do everything and everything's about her and she, I, I mean like I know she's the main character but I'd like to see 
some other of people. these things being about some, somebody else. Yeah, I agree. And then we've, we've said about this, um, how we don't want the Red Angels to turn out to be Michael, and we'll get to that later in the season. But I, I don't think she's a Mary Sue, because a Mary Sue is someone who has, who knows everything, knows how to does everything, is perfect in every way, and but hasn't earned it. Whereas Michael, her Vulcan upbringing and heritage, there's a lot there to explain why she's the way she is. But the show doesn't help itself with things like this. No, it doesn't. Like, th- there's no reason that who appears to be the head of Section 31 is scared of what a lieutenant commander who's only just... Not a lieutenant commander, just a lieutenant, isn't she? No. Is she lieutenant commander now? Lieutenant commander. Yeah, so... Giorgio seems to think that the head of Section 31 will be scared of what a lieutenant commander who's only just got a commission back thinks of him. Yeah. You know, it's... So what? I, I can't imagine him being scared of it. But she appears to be using it for blackmail purposes, so... Um, we find out Michael Shuttle's been hiding in an asteroid. Obviously seen Empire Strikes Back at some yeah, point. that's how you hide. Yeah. And um, she puts the numbers through the system and... It turns out it's Talos 4, and she says, where are you taking us, Spock? But we know exactly yeah. where she's taking him. What What did you think the first time that was said, Talos 4? Because I don't remember the first time um, I saw it. <laughs> I've got goosebumps about it. I was yeah. like, wow. Oh, I was sort of like that entire week. I was, come on, come on. Yeah. I, I, think I'm, I think with my shift pattern, I've actually got to watch it. Oh, bang on. Literally as it dropped in the UK. Yeah. I was, like, I work nights quite a lot of the time. Yeah. If I've been on a Thursday overnight, because it dropped on a Friday this year, mm. I'd be literally sat on my Netflix. Yeah. Discovery, discovery, discovery till it was there. Well, <laughs> And I might spend an hour or two hours doing that. Yeah. And I was really, ex- I was excited when they said tell us why. It was like, I was also scared that they'd ruin it. Yeah. Well, we'll talk was, about that next time, whether well, they well, do or not. But I was, I was very excited of what they were going to do. Yeah, I can't. Like, like, obviously, you were in hospital at the time, but like, mm. all the social media exploded about Tyler Yeah, Spall I can imagine. Every, there was such a big buzz about it. Yeah, I missed that. I mean, obviously, I missed that. But yeah, this one and the next one both came out while I was in hospital. Yeah. And I was in a coma for like, two and a half weeks or something so by the time i'd come round and was well enough to be able to watch something uh you and my wife chloe had re- put this onto a tablet for me and i could yeah, watch it, it in the hospital to... so I, I didn't get i didn't have to wait to find out but um yeah it's a pretty cool way to end an episode oh it was a yeah it, it, it's what you want it's cliffhanger it's cliffhanger yeah. that causes a buzz and gets people talking and and it's um you know the it's dramatic irony where the audience knows more than the characters at this yeah. stage yeah you know we know that we, what we, talos for means yeah, we've seen talos for a couple of times in the yeah past. um so that's pretty much that episode is anything else on that one i think we've pretty much covered it yeah well we want to before the end of this episode we're a little bit late with this we're still running behind but we need to talk a little bit about what we've seen of the Picard show. Yeah, we've not seen a lot. But not a lot at all. Not a lot at all. There's rumours going around. and Well, let's get the time scales right first. Yeah. So, the last time we saw Captain Picard was uh, in Nemesis. End of Nemesis, Which yeah. is 2379. Right, okay, I'll take your word for that yeah, one. Yeah, it's 2379, that's been established. Uh, the same the Picard show... It's going to be set real time X amount of years. Yeah, I think they've said it's 20 years between Nemesis and Picard. Like it's actually 18 years in real life. In real life, so I think they've added a couple. But they're saying it's 20 years. Yeah. So that'll make it that Picard is going to be set in 2399. Yeah. I think it should be set slightly later by about three or four years because we've seen on the trailer. The voice going, why did you leave um, Starfleet? Starfleet, yeah. you led the Greatest Armada 15 years ago. Yeah. Like, the Greatest Armada. And with everyone speculating, and I can see why, 
that it's going to be rescuing people from Romulus at the events of that, 2009 Star Trek. That was my thought as well. Yeah, I think the timeline sense. seems to add up. But the problem is that that has been established that Romulus was destroyed in 2387. Right, okay. Which only puts it 12 years before the events of Picard. Right, okay. not 15. Well, it, it so may I, not I, be I'd that. be a lot happier if Picard was set in 2402 and it would sum it up nicely. Well, that's assuming that Romulus is going to be the subject of it, yeah. which it, it might not. Yeah, there's been a lot of rumours about yeah. Romulus. Like, before we even got a... Any sort of clips. Because we haven't really had a proper trailer. We've had a teaser. No, I mean, we yeah, we got a voiceover and we saw Picard's face and there was leaked footage of what they showed at Comic-Con. Yeah. Uh, which is just basically what appears to be a, a Starfleet officer saying, who are you? And Any Picard sort of, like, sort of grinning at him. Really? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that that's it. We've, yeah. we've seen very like, well. Before we got anything, there was rumours that it was going to be based around him having been the ambassador to Romulus. Yeah, well, the the creators have said that the events of Star Trek 2009 are going to weigh heavily on Picard. Yeah. Um, so, so, when they said about leading the Great Samadra, it makes a lot of sense for him to have yeah, led the evacuation from Romulus. Hopefully we'll get some awesome flashbacks to that. Yeah. But um, you never know. Yeah, but like I say... For that to work, I think Picard has to be set in 2402 instead of 2399. Well, we'll see when it comes out. Um, this is what happens when they let us know the, well, what this is it. Yeah, it's been picked apart already. <laughs> see, the other thing that the internet's been looking at a lot is the uniforms, which yeah. look like early DS9 Voyager uniforms in terms of having yeah. a stripe of colour at the top and yeah, then black. Yeah, not as militaristic as later no. years of DS9 or yeah, the movies of Nemesis. Yeah, they've, they've got rid of the grey and gone back to the colours, but, but they've got a proper colour on them like early no, TNG. no longer at war... I can see why yeah. it wouldn't be quite as militaristic. No, no, no it, it, I like that the uniforms are recognisable, you know, that you can see it as an evolution yeah. of where we were with the uniforms last time we saw them. Yeah. Somebody's done a mock-up based on what footage we've had, but there isn't enough really to comment enough, on it as yeah, of yet. Didn't enough to make a uniform yet. So um, I think it's going to be a while since we see it at the convention. Oh, yeah, I would guess so. Or someone will probably have one this year, <laughs> but it'll just be based on... Well, what it little we've from, seen. Um, Avanos. From what? They have Are the, they the official? They have the official right. rights, but they're in a lot of trouble at the moment. Oh, right. Okay. They've been taken to court for not fulfilling contracts because it's oh. taken up to four years for them to... Four years? Four years. That's insane. <laughs> I can imagine if you'd ordered, like, if they'd done that... Well, there's a guy in, in America and he just happens to be a lawyer. Yeah. And for some bizarre reason, after the first item hasn't arrived, it's then ordered another 38. Oh, all right, okay. So he's got like 39 items in that he's <laughs> waiting on. And he's been waiting up to four years. He's had nothing arrived. So. Can you imagine if you'd done it in TNG, if you'd ordered a season one uniform, and then by the time it arrives, they've got the much better season yeah. three uniforms? Well, it has implications because it affects um, Disney and CBS and... Well, yeah, I mean, you can't... It affects quite a lot because to do the Battlestar Galactica uniforms, oh, the Star Wars uniforms, all the Star Trek Right, uniforms. okay, so they'll be in serious uh, but trouble. But all the companies have been constantly uh, renewing the licence, saying that they're happy with how the service they're providing. Ah, okay. So it has huge implications. And so there'll be every other costume company in the world will be waiting for this to fall through yeah, and pick up like, those licences. Well, Amanos, the business model, because... They do very, very, very good costumes. Yeah. Very screen accurate. But because of that, they're very expensive. Yeah. <laughs> so to produce some, they need to have orders of maybe a hundred. Right. Before they can do a run. Ah, so, uh, so they've been waiting for the order. <sighs> so they wait for orders to build up before they can do a run. They don't have a, a stock. You can't do that, though. I mean... That's, that's their business model. Fair but enough. They're, they're now being... That it's an unreasonable amount of time. So yeah, that's very, very good uniforms might be that's officially like, licensed, might be hard to come back. That's like these people who order these games off Kickstarter and don't get them for like ten years yeah. or whatever. <laughs> anyway, so that's well back to Picard. That's well. Any, I mean, any other thoughts on from what we've seen of Picard at the moment? Um, 
we see he's back on his uh, his farm, his farm, and is a nod back nod to all good things. It, I hope one thing I really hope is that they've followed all the other continuities in stock books and works on mm. all good things and allowed him to get married to Beverly. Yeah, that'd be good. I don't care if they divorce now or not. No, but... well, they were in all good things, weren't yeah. they? But um, one thing... They're not in his autobiography. No, that's true. Um, one thing that I thought about was uh, back in Family, he says to Rene, and if I'm ever not sure of my place, I know to come back home. Yeah. And... Maybe, you know, if he's having this crisis about leaving Starfleet, he yeah. can go back home, but Rene's not there to help him this time, so maybe that's why he he, he doesn't get that nudge that he needs yeah. and has ends up staying, you yeah. know. Like it does say that he lost faith in why did yeah, you lose, why did you lose faith in, in Starfleet? Starfleet? Yeah. It's definitely Which gonna be interesting. Be a big, um, conflict of faith, worse than after Best of Both Worlds. Best of both worlds have just been badly hurt. Yes, exactly, yeah. But here, if he's lost total faith in if something that costs... some something fundamental about Starfleet that yeah. he no longer agrees with, it'll yeah. be like I wonder if he's I think he's maybe rescued the Romulans, led this Amada, and then Starfleet said, No, we're not going to help you. And yeah. sort of just left them. Yeah, if they've called off the mission or something and people yeah, have died. Yeah, or they've just left them as refugees all over uh, the place. It could be, yeah. That they aren't helping them. Yeah, or, you know... I me- thought, this gets rid of one of our problems. Yeah, maybe, like, taking some of them into custody. or You know, you never know. Yeah, yeah. It, c- it could well be. It would have to be something very big for Jean-Luc Picard to, to walk away yeah, from it, Starfleet. So it like it's basically betrayal of basic... St- it's got to be something Starfleet that compromises his principles. principles, yeah. Like in Insurrection, he was willing to walk for that. Yeah. So it's got to be something, like you say, that is going against his beliefs and it'll be and interesting got, yeah. to explore it. And it's very much for Federation and if they're breaking core beliefs, it's... Yeah, it's not something he'd stand for. We've yeah. seen that time and again. Yeah. But yeah, we'll look forward to that later in the year and obviously we'll, if we get anything new, we'll talk about it on the show. Quite upset that I had to go out and buy a fire stick so I can get Amazon. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's probably worth mentioning. For for... all the Americans who've been complaining for the last two years of having to get CBS All Access, I already have Netflix as my streaming service and I've had to get a second one. Yeah, we now have to get two streaming services instead of one. And, um, you know, I'd take CBS All Access, to be honest. It's got the new Twilight Zone on it. <laughs> it's got yeah all the Trek. But, yeah, we're going to be... And then with all these other series, now that it's a bidding war, we just assumed they'd all go to Netflix. Yeah, we did, but... But Amazon have got deeper pockets and... Well, paid more for this one. Though. Yeah, so who knows what will happen with the next one, but enough of our moaning, anyway. Yeah. Well, um... I'm not moaning. I've... It... It gave me a chance to watch some other things. Yeah. So we'll we'll call it a day for there. We'll be back next time to talk about If Memory Serves. If you want to get in touch with us in the meantime, we're on Twitter at RetrekPod, where you can also send us an email, retrekpod at gmail.com. And we will see you next time. <laughs>